Hi, welcome to 1.3 Contemporary Psychology. My name is Belle, and we are going to be diving straight into this. So the learning objectives for this subsection is to be able to appreciate the diversity of interests and foci within psychology, to understand basic interests and applications in each of the described areas of psychology, and finally, to demonstrate familiarity with some of the major concepts or important figures in each of the described areas of psychology. I did scan over how long this one's going to be, and it'll be around the same time as the last episode, so buckle down for what might be a very knowledgeful, lengthy episode. Alright. Contemporary psychology is a diverse field that is influenced by all of the historical perspectives described in the preceding section. Reflective of the discipline's diversity is the diversity seen within the American Psychological Association, or APA for short. The APA is a professional organization representing psychologists in the United States. The APA is the largest organization of psychologists in the world, and its mission is to advance and disseminate psychological knowledge for the betterment of people. There are 56 divisions within the APA, representing a worldwide variety of specialists that range from the societies for the psychological of religion and spirituality to exercise and sport psychology to then behavioral neuroscience and comparative psychology. Reflecting the diversity of the field of psychology itself, Members, affiliate members, and associate members span the spectrum from students to doctor-level psychologists and come from a variety of places including educational settings, criminal justice, hospitals, and armed forces, as well as industry. This is, they are all part of the APA. The Association for Psychological Science, APS, was founded in 1988 and seeks to advance the scientific orientation of psychology. Its founding resulted from disagreements between members of the scientific and clinical branches of psychology within the APA. The APS publishes five research journals and engages in education and advocacy with funding agencies. A significant proportion of its members are international, although the majority is located in the United States. Other organizations provide networking and collaborative opportunities for professionals of several ethnic or racial groups working in psychology, such as the National Latina Psychological Association, NPLA, no, NLPA, my bad, the Asian American Psychological Association, AAPA, and the Association of Black Psychologists, ABPSI, and the Society of Indian Psychologists, SIP. Most of these groups are also dedicated to studying psychological and social issues within their specific communities. This section will provide an overview of the major subdivisions within psychology today in the order in which they are introduced throughout the remainder of this textbook. This is not meant to be an exhaustive listening, but it will provide insight into the major areas of research and practice of a modern-day psychologist. Alright, Biopsychology and Evolutionary Psychology As the name suggests, biopsychology explores how our biology 
influences our behavior. While biological psychology is a broad field, many biological psychologists want to understand how the structure and the function of the nervous system is related to behavior. As such, they often combine the research strategies of both psychologists and physiologists to accomplish this goal, as discussed in Carlson 2013, which is an article that it does link to, but I can't give that to you. Then there's a photo which has the central nervous system and shows the brain and the spinal cord and then the peripheral nervous system which is just all the nerves that go through your entire body all right the research interests of biological psychologists span a number of domains including but not limited to sensory and motor systems sleep drug use abuse ingestive behavior reproductive behavior neurodevelopment plasticity of the nervous system, and biological correlations of psychological disorders. Given the broad areas of interest falling under the purview of biological psychology, it will probably come as no surprise that individuals from all sorts of backgrounds are involved in this research, including biologists, medical professionals, physiologists, and chemists. This interdisciplinary approach is often referred to as neuroscience, of which biological psychology is a component. While biopsychology typically focuses on the immediate causes of behavior based on the physiology of a human or another animal, evolutionary psychology seeks to study the ultimate biological causes of behavior. To the extent that a behavior is impacted by genetics, a behavior, like any other anatomical characteristics of a hu human or animal, will demonstrate adaptation to its surroundings. These surroundings include the physical environment and, since interactions between the organisms can be important to survival and reproduction, the social environment. The study of behavior in the context of evolution has its origins with Charles Darwin. The co-discoverer of the theory of evolution by natural selection, Darwin, as well as others, were aware that behaviors should be adaptive and wrote books titled The Descent of Man and the Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals. This was in order to explore this field. Evolutionary psychology, and specifically the evolutionary psychology of humans, has enjoyed a resurgence in recent decades. To be subject to evolution by natural selection, a behavior must have a significant genetic cause. In general, we expect all human cultures to express a behavior if it is caused genetically, since the genetic differences amongst human groups are very small. The approach taken by most evolutionary psychologists is to predict the outcome of a behavior in a particular situation, based on evolutionary theory, and then to make observations, or conduct experiments, to determine whether the results match the theory. It is important to recognize that these types of studies are not strong evidence that a behavior is adaptive, since they lack information that the behavior is, in some part, genetic and not entirely cultural. Demonstrating that trait, especially in humans, is naturally selected, is extraordinarily difficult. Perhaps for this reason, some evolutionary psychologists are content to assume the behaviors they study have genetic determinants. Which is interesting, because then in their own study, they just kind of give in to the fact that 
they don't have much control over whether they're right or wrong. They just accept that they are wrong. However, to continue, one other drawback of evolutionary psychology is that the traits that we possess now evolved under environmental and social conditions far back in human history, and we have a poor understanding of what these conditions were. This makes predictions about what is adaptive for a behavior very difficult. Behavioral traits need to be adaptive under current conditions, only under the conditions of the past when they evolved, about which we can only hypothesize. There are many areas of human behavior for which evolution can make predictions, however. Examples include memory, mate choice, relationships between kin, friendship and cooperation, as well as parenting, social organization, and status. Evolutionary psychologists have had success in finding experimental correspondence between observations and expectations. In one example, in a study of mate preference, it differentiates between men and women that spans 37 cultures. This found that women valued earning potential factors greater than men did, and men valued potential reproductive factors, youth and attractiveness, greater than women in their prospective mates. In general, the predictions were in line with the predictions of evolution, although there were deviations in some cultures. We carry on now to sensation and perception. Scientists interested in both psychological aspects of sensory system, as well as in the psychological experience of sensory information, work within the area of sensation and perception. As such, sensation and perception research is also quite interdisciplinary. Imagine walking between buildings as you move from one class to another. You are inundated with sights and sounds, touch sensations and smells. You also experience the temperature of the air around you and maintain your balance as you make your way. These are all factors of interest to someone working in the domain of sensation and perception. Then there is a picture, which is one of those pictures where you could see one of two images. The figure caption says, when you look at this image, you may see a duck or a rabbit. The sensory information remains the same, but your perception can vary dramatically. I saw a duck, because the rabbit looks funny. As described in a later chapter that focuses on the results of studies in sensation and perception, our experience of the world is not as simple as the sum total of all the sensory information or sensations together. Rather, our experience or perception is complex and is influenced by where we focus our attention, our previous experiences, and even our cultural backgrounds. The next header is Cognitive Psychology, and it reads, as mentioned in the previous section, the cognitive revolution created an impetus for psychologists to focus their attention on better understanding the mind and mental processes that underlie behavior. Thus, cognitive psychology is the area of psychology that focuses on studying cognitions or thoughts and their relationship to our experiences and our action. Like biological psychology, Cognitive psychology is broad in its scope and often involves collaborations among people from a diverse range of disciplinary backgrounds. This has led some to coin the term cognitive science to describe the interdisciplinary science of this area of research. Cognitive psychologists have research interests that span a spectrum of topics, ranging from attention to problem solving to language to memory. The approaches used in studying these topics are equally diverse. 
Given such diversity, cognitive psychology is not captured in one chapter of this text, but per see rather various concepts related to cognitive psychology will be covered in rele relevant portions of the chapters in this text on sensations and perceptions, thinking and intelligence, memory, lifespan development, social psychology, and therapy. Sorry, I got my tongue all twisted. They had a phrase with a semicolon in the middle, and I did not understand what was going on. Okay. <laughs> Next header. Developmental psychology. Developmental psychology is the scientific study of development across a lifespan. Developmental psychologists are interested in the process related to physical mat maturation. However, their focus is not limited to the physical changes associated with aging, as they also focus on changes in cognitive skills, moral reasoning, social behavior, and other psychological attributes. Early developmental psychologists focused primarily on changes that occurred through reaching adulthood, providing enormous insight into the differences in physical, cognitive, and social capacities that exist between very young children and adults. For instance, research by Jean Piaget demonstrates that very young children do not demonstrate object permanence. Object permanence refers to understanding that physical things continue to exist even when you cannot see them. If you were to show an adult a toy and then hide it behind a curtain, the adult knows that it's, the toy still exists. However, very young infants act as if the object hidden no longer exists. The age at which object permanence is achieved is somewhat controversial. While Piget was focused on cognitive changes during infancy and childhood, as we move to adulthood, there's an increasing interest in extending research into the changes that occur much later in life. This may be reflective of changing population, demographics of developed nations as a whole. As more and more people live longer lives, the number of people of advanced age will continue to increase. Indeed, it is estimated that there will be just over 40 million people aged 65 or older living in the United States in 2010. However, by 2020, this number is expected to increase to about 55 million. By the year 2050, it is estimated to be nearly 90 million people in the country that are 65 or older. In fact, in the beginning of 2020, the population over 65 was 16.9%, which is 55,939,000 people. Hmm. Was that accurate? 55 million? Yeah, it was accurate. Oh no. I just... I forgot to mention before that there was a photo of Jean Piaget, who is wearing a very pretty beret and has a very nice dark academia aesthetic going on. The next header we carry on to is personality psychology. Personality psychology focuses on patterns of thought and behaviors that make each individual unique. Several individuals, for example, Freud and Maslow, that we have already discussed in our historical overview of psychology, and the American psychologist Gordon Alport contributed to early theories of personality. These early theorists attempted to explain how an individual's personality develops from his or her given perspective. For example, Freud proposed that personality arose as conflicts between the conscious and unconscious parts of the mind were carried out over the lifespan. 
specifically, Freud theorized that an individual went through various psychosexual stages of development. According to Freud, adult personality would result from a resolution of various conflicts that centered on the migration of erogenous zones from the oral to the anus, to the phallus to the genitals. Like many of Freud's theories, this particular idea was controversial and did not lend itself to experimental tests. <sighs> Freud was freaky with it. More recently, the study of personality has taken on a more quantitative approach. Rather than explaining how personality arises, researchers focused on identifying personality traits, measuring these traits, and determining how these traits interact in a particular context to determine how a person will behave in any given situation. Personality traits are relatively consistent patterns of thought and behavior, and many have proposed that five trait dimensions are sufficient to capture the var variations in personality seen across individuals. These dimensions are known as the Big Five, or the Five-Factor Model, and include dimensions of consciousness, agreeableness, neuroticism, openness, and extroversion. Each of these traits has been demonstrated to be relatively stable over the lifetime, and is influenced by genetics. Then there is a chart, which I'm going to try to explain. In the middle of the chart, we have traits, which are the five, the openness, consciousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. On the left, we have the low score and what that means, and on the right, we have a high score. So I'm going to go one by one in the five subjects and explain what happens if you have a low score or a high score. Okay, for openness, which is defined as imagination, feelings, action, and ideas, if you have a low score, you are more practical, conventional, and you prefer routine. However, if you have a high score, you are more curious, you have a wide range of interests, and are independent. Then we have conscientiousness. Low score is impulsive, careless, and disorganized, whereas a high score is hardworking, dependable, and organized. Extroversion. Sociability, assertiveness, emotional expression is, if you have a low score, you're more quiet, reserved, and withdrawn, whereas if you have a high score, you're more outgoing, warm, and you seek adventure. The next trait is agreeableness. If you have a low score, it's critical, uncooperative, and suspicious personality traits, whereas if you have a high score, you are more helpful, trusting, and empathetic. And finally, neuroticism is the tendency toward unstable emotions, such as depression, sadness, anxiety, a lot of which contribute to psychological disorders. If you have a low score, you're more calm, you're even-tempered, and secure. And if you have a high score, you're more anxious, unhappy, and prone to negative emotions. There's no shame in having a low or high score, it is just what it is. And I think a lot of the time we beat ourselves up because we've stigmatized various emotions, such as anxiety or untrusting. Anyways, as we carry on, the next header is social psychology. Social psychology focuses on how we interact with and relate to others. Social psychologists conduct research on a wide variety of topics that include differences in how we explain our own behavior versus how we explain the behavior of others. 
your prejudice and attraction and how we resolve interpersonal conflicts affect this. Social psychologists have also sought to determine how being among other people changes our own behavior and patterns of thinking. There are many interesting examples of social psychological research, and you will read about that many times in later chapters of this textbook. Until then, it will be introduced to one of the most controversial psychological studies ever conducted. Stanley Milgram was an American social psychologist who is most famous for research that he conducted on obedience. We are going to touch on the Holocaust a little bit here. I all right. After the Holocaust in 1961, a Nazi war criminal, Adolf Eichmann, who was accused of committing mass atrocities, was put on trial. Many people wondered how German soldiers were capable of torturing prisoners in concentration camps, and they were unsatisfied with the excuses given to them by soldiers that they were simply following orders. At the time, most psychologists agreed that few people would be willing to inflict such extraordinary pain and suffering simply because they were obeying orders. Milgram decided to conduct research to determine whether or not this was true. As you will read later in the text, Milgram found that nearly two-thirds of its participants were willing to deliver what they believed to be lethal shocks to another person, simply because they were instructed to do so by an authority figure. In this case, a man dressed in a lab coat. This was in spite of the fact that participants received payment for simply showing up for the research study and could have chosen not to inflict pain or more serious consequences on another person by withdrawing from the study. No one was actually hurt or harmed in any way. Milgram's experiment was a clever ruse that took advantage of research confederates, those who pretend to be participants in a research study who are actually working for the researcher and have clear, specific directions on how to behave during the research study. Milgram's and other studies that involve deception and potential emotional harm to study participants catalyzed the development of ethical guidelines for conducting psychological research that discouraged the use of deception, unless it can be argued not to cause harm, and, in general, requiring informed consent of participants. Then there is a figure, image, title, uh, I'll read it out. Public announcement. We, we will pay you $4 for one hour of your time. Persons needed for a study of memory. And then they have a fill-out form, and this is Stanley Milgram's research demonstration, and it des demonstrated just how far people will go in obeying orders from an authority figure. This advertisement was used to recruit his subjects. So it's authentic. That's cool. All right. Industrial-Organizational Psychology. We're just knocking them out of here, okay. Industrial-Organizational Psychology, I.O. Psychology, is a subfield of psychology that applies psychological theories, principles, and research findings in industrial and organizational settings. I.O. Psychologists are often involved in issues related to personnel management, organizational structure, and workplace environment. Businesses often seek the aid of I.O. psychologists to make the best hiring decisions as well as to create an environment that results in high levels of employee productivity and efficiency. In addition to its applied nature, I.O. psychology also involves conducting scientific research on behavior within I.O. settings. That was a very short one. Next header, health psychology. 
Health psychology focuses on how, how health is affected by the interaction of biological, psychological, and sociocultural factors. This particular approach is known as the biosocial model, which is very impactful and you get taught that in high school psychology, <laughs> a little bit. Health psychologists are interested in helping individuals achieve better health through public po policy, education, intervention, and research. Health psychologists might conduct research that explores the relationship between one's genetic makeup, their patterns of behavior, their relationships, their psychological stress, and their level of health. They may research effective ways to motivate people to address patterns of behavior that contribute to poorer health. And then there's a little uh, model, which are three circles that overlap each other a little bit. First being the biological circle, then the psychological circle, and the social circle, just like we had mentioned in the paragraph above. And that's the biosocial model. Suggests that health slash illness is determined by the interaction of those three factors. We carry on to a very short passage titled Sport and Exercise Psychology. Research in sport and exercise psychology study the psychological aspects of sport performance, including motivation and performance anxiety, as well as the effects of sport on mental and emotional well-being. Research is also conducted on similar topics as they relate to physical exercise in general. The discipline also includes topics that are broader than sport and exercise, but that are related to interactions between mental and physical performance under demanding conditions, such as firefighting, military operations, artistic performance, and surgery. Very interesting. All right, clinical psychology. That's the header. Clinical psychology is the area of psychology that focuses on the diagnosis and treatment of psychological disorders and other problematic patterns of behavior. A word that's going to reoccur is maladaptive behavior, which is the problematic patterns of behavior. All right. As such, it is generally considered to be a more applied area within psychology. However, some clinicians are also actively engaged in scientific research. Counseling psychology is a similar discipline that focuses on emotional, social, vocational, and health-related outcomes in individuals who are considered psychologically healthy. As mentioned earlier, both Freud and Rogers provided perspectives that have been influential in shaping how clinicians interact with people seeking psychotherapy. While aspects of the psychoanalytic theory are still found among some of today's therapists who are trained from a psychodynamic perspective, Rogers' idea about client-centered therapy have been especially influential in shaping how many clinicians operate. Furthermore, both behaviorism and the cognitive revolution have shaped clinical practices in the form of behavioral therapy, cognitive therapy, and cognitive behavioral therapy. Issues related to the diagnosis and treatment of psychological disorders and problem behaviors will be discussed in detail in later chapters of this textbook. And then there is another diagram which is figure 1.17. However, I haven't been telling you the figure numbers and I won't continue to. Cognitive behavioral therapists take cognitive processes and behavior into account when providing psychotherapy. This is one of several strategies that may be used by practicing clinical psychologists. And it's just a triangle with thoughts at the top, emotions on the side and behaviors on another side, showing how they all interlap and connect to each other. Okay. By far, this is the area of psychology that 
receives the most attention in popular media, and many people mistakenly assume that all psychology is clinical psychology. Very interesting. All right, we move on to forensic psychology. Forensic psychology is a branch of psychology that deals questions of psychology as they arise in the context of the justice system. For example, forensic psychologists and forensic psychiatrists will assess a person's competency to stand trial, assess the state of mind of a defiant, act as a consultant on child custody cases, consult on sentencing and treatment recommendations, and advise on issues such as eyewitness testimony and children's testimony. In these capacities, they will typically act as expert witnesses called by either side of the court case to provide their research or experience-based opinions. As expert witnesses, forensic psychologists must have a good understanding of the law and provide information in the context of the legal system rather than just within the realm of psychology. Forensic psychologists are also used in the jury selection process and witness preparation. They may also be involved in providing psychological treatment within the criminal justice system. Criminal profilers are a relatively small portion of psychologists that act as consultants to law enforcement. So we went over how many types of psychology there are. So when they said contemporary psychology in the beginning, it was just different aspects to the field. We had biosocial and evolutionary psychology, sensation and perception psychology, cognitive psychology, developmental psychology, personality psychology, social psychology, industrial organizational psychology, also called IO psychology, health psychology, which is the biosocial theory, sport and exercise psychology, clinical psychology, forensic psychology, and that was it. So in this episode, we covered those. If you were taking notes, I hope that I spoke okay. And I will see you in the next episode, 1.4 of chapter one, where we will be talking about the careers in psychology.